some of you know the story of Percy and Florence Aerosmith. They are uh, from England. They are in the Guinness Book of World Records. They hold two records, one for the longest time married. It was 80 years. This was back in 2005. They've been married 80 years, and then the largest married couple's aggregate age of 205 years. And when asked what their secret was to such a long marriage, Florence had this to say, never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, figure it out, and never be afraid to say you're sorry. Percy took a slightly different approach. He said the secret to long marriage was two words. Yes, dear. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah, right. Yeah. I read another story about a husband and wife who were at a party, and they were talking about um, the subject of marriage counseling. Oh, we're never going to need that, said the husband. You see, uh, my wife was a communications major, and I was a, a, a theater major. She communicates so well, and I just act like I'm listening, <laughs> right? <laughs> marriage is, is humorous, complicated, sacred, and certainly the marriage theme as it runs throughout Scripture, it talks about uh, the relationship between God and, and people, and it's a covenant that God initiates. And if there's some founder's blocks on which that relationship is, is built, it would be trust, fidelity, it would be communication, and it would be hard work. It takes all of those. I mentioned, uh, and you, we just shared that Whit and Mallory were married here like uh, many of you have been married. And there's thousands of weddings that have happened right here in this chancel since the time we started having worship back in the 30s. Uh, our United Methodist Book of Discipline, it requires that before a pastor of United Methodist Church can, can officiate that wedding, there has to be premarital counseling. And our clergy team here, we'd love to do premarital counseling. Sometimes we have one long session with a couple before uh, we, we talk about the ceremony. Sometimes we have a retreat where there's several couples who meet together. And sometimes we have some things to work through. We meet two times, three times, four times uh, before we plan a wedding. Uh, one of the reasons I love uh, spending time with couples prior to their holy day is I share this image with them. I, I tell them that the Bible begins and it ends with marriage imagery. Now, we oftentimes talk about how Genesis and Revelation begin and end in a garden, and that's true. But there's also marriage imagery that begins the Bible and, and ends the Bible. This came to light uh, quite prominently a few months ago. Our staff was on site at Temple Beth Or. We were doing uh, some planning for 2022, and Rabbi Luper was so kind to give us a tour of the, of the temple over there, and it's just an amazing opportunity anytime we can be together with him or with his congregation. And we were, somehow we ended up talking about biblical interpretation, and we started talking about the two creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and he stopped me. He said, hang on. Jay, he said, I don't read those as two creation stories. I read those as a creation story and a marriage story. And I said, well, say more. That's, that's fascinating. And so sure enough, at the end of chapter 2, after you know Genesis 1, God speaks and creation comes into account. The confirmands have learned that. And Genesis 2, God digs up dirt and breathes life. And it's through speaking and through breathing that life exists. But right at the end of chapter 2 is, is a marriage ceremony. <laughs> God creates Adam from the dirt from nothing, really, just breathes life into dirt, and Adam is formed, right? 
And then he realizes that Adam needs a partner, somebody you know, that can help him get through life. And so from Adam's side to, to uh, suggest equality, from the side of Adam comes Eve. And Rabbi Luper said, isn't it beautiful how, they are, how they're pulled apart from one another and then God gives them back to each other in this covenantal relationship. And he says, the husband and the wife, they shall leave and cleave their families and become one. Flesh of flesh, bone of bone. What's even more revealing about that story, I think, other than just what happens as, as God is setting up human relationships in the world, is it says that they were together and they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame. I want you to hang on to that. So just sit, let's sit that right there for just a minute. A deeper drill down, it might indicate that, that God actually wanted a suitable helper too. And that the people of this world who are created in the image and the likeness of God are helpers to God. And someone said it this way. I think this is so spot on. God created people and gave us to one another and to this earth for the sole purpose of partnering with God and his redeeming actions. Flesh of flesh, bone of bone, there's likeness of likeness, a shared image, a shared purpose, ensuring that the world finds its way to peace. And so when God says, I do, and I choose you, and I will be a part of your story, anything is possible if we in return will say, I do too. I have enough trust. I have enough faith. I, I want to be in conversation with you, and I'll put in the hard work. If you really want to partner with me, God, to help redeem this world and give peace to this world, I'll do that. It's a covenantal relationship like marriage. From, from that moment on, throughout Scripture, um, are images of, of marriage. The, the writers of, of the Hebrew Bible certainly use that. The prophets talk about uh, marriage a lot. Throughout Israel's story, as, as complicated as it is, you can look at the high points, and you can see when they trusted God, and they were faithful to God, and they communicated with God, and, and then in those moments when it didn't, everything was in disarray. There was war, famine, desolation, broken hearts, deep wounds that took a long time to get over. And I, I just think that's a, a, a constant way to think about our relationship with God is like this marriage. And if God says, I do, and we say, I do, we, God will do his part, we do our part, and, and things work out pretty well. Hmm. Patterns, however, and we know this, patterns of unhealthy covenantal relationship with God, marriage with God, just like patterns in a marriage, they begin in such small ways, these habits do. And we know this because during the pandemic, we've all formed habits. You might not realize it. If you're watching from home, you might not realize it. We've all formed habits. And those habits are hard uh, to break. They chip away if we're not careful. They'll chip away at our relationship with God, our relationship with the church, our relationship with our brothers and sisters and with our family, our relationship with our community if we, just, if we don't stay in it, if we don't continually say, I do and I will uphold the vows that, that I've made to be present in worship if I'm able. I'm so grateful for the technology that we're sharing even in this moment through WSFA and, and our online platforms. There's nothing quite like being in person. The people of God are supposed to be in person. We are. You know, God created us and set us up in the flesh to be together. Jesus Christ came 
in the flesh to be with us. The people of God, the body of Christ, is meant to be together, to worship, to recharge, to serve together in the flesh, covenantally. It's part of what it means to say, I do too. I will find my way back. I will find. Because here's the thing, as we're thinking about the gospel text here in just a second, we come each week to be, to be filled up. And we might think that we just need to be filled up with something that hydrates us like water, but what happens is we get here and that water is turned into wine. It's turned into grace, inebriating, almost senseless and reckless grace that we are filled up and sent out to pour ourselves out for the sake of others. That's what worship is. I think what happens with this marriage imagery, particularly in the, in the Hebrew Bible, is it talks about the way that we are so intertwined with God. Our identities are, are all intertwined. Israel's history, its, it's story, its, its identity, it's, it's all caught up in who God is. And God is really caught up in that story too. You know, you don't have Israel without Yahweh. And do we really know who Yahweh is without Israel serving as a channel in that way? I think that's covenantal. That's an I do and an I will relate. It's like a dance. You know, I, I'm not good at dancing, right? And if I were just dancing around here by myself, it would look really funny because dancers are supposed to have a partner. And someone leads and someone follows. I have two left feet, so I have to, I'm not very good at all that. What I know about the, the human and, and the divine dance together is that we sometimes get that. We want to lead and do God's role. And that's when we start stepping over and falling and tripping. And it's not fluid. It's not harmonious. It just doesn't work. We're supposed to follow God's lead. I read a story of a young woman who uh, was a senior in high school. She was trying to get into college, and, and she ran across a question on the application that really puzzled her. It said, do you consider yourself a leader? And she was very, you know, conscientious and that kind of thing, and she just very promptly responded, no, <laughs> I'm not a leader. She didn't think she would get accepted to that school, so she was a little bit taken aback when she received a letter that said, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. Right? There's time for us all to lead, but every day is an opportunity to follow where Christ is leading us into this world to be a part of God's redemptive work and story, to say, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I also choose to be a part of your story. I want to become a part of your life. Thank you for wanting to be a part of my life. And so the marriage image, it, it leaps across the intertestamental period and it makes its way into the first century where Jesus' first sign right? His first wallet moment <laughs> is at Cana of Galilee at a wedding. Now, back in that, that day, back in that age, weddings lasted a full week. They lasted six days long. Whew. I was just trying to add up <laughs> the number of food, the out lodging for out-of-towners, you know, the, the Uber of Cana. I mean, who's going to pay for that? Somebody's got to get people around town. 
all the drinks, all the decorations, all of, I mean, everything that would go with a six-day, can you begin to imagine a six-day story? Now, it kind of makes me a little nauseous, uh, maybe because I've been through it one time, and, and one that lasted a few hours, that was plenty, right? It's still the gift that kept on giving, right? It was enough. But also, I have another daughter who, who might be watching right now, and she's probably going to say, hey, Dad, what would Jesus do? He would want a six-day reception. That's not happening. No six-day long receptions. I just felt, I felt so bad for the host. You know, he's going to go broke <laughs> paying for a wedding that lasted six days. There's something else about this story. And it has to do with Jesus' mother. It happens when Jesus' mother gets involved. It seems like on the surface that maybe she's barking a few orders. Son, do something. They don't have any wine. I want you to hear me today that one thing about this story that resonates is there's nobody in the story who's looking for Jesus until something goes wrong, until the wine was out. So long as the band was playing and the food was was refreshed and the wine was flowing. Nobody gave a thought about Jesus. No one needed Jesus until they started feeling empty, until the vessels were running dry. I think that's so true. Old wine, it was still wine, and it still served its purpose. It kept the party going, didn't it? Until it didn't. Old wine kept people from seeing and seeking Jesus Please, please do not allow the past or that which is old to keep you from seeking Jesus or allow that to prevent you from seeing the new thing that Jesus is trying to do in your life because he's bringing new wine to the party. The party really is just getting started at this point, but I don't, ever, I don't think this story was ever about wine. I think it was about Mary and Jesus observing something that was about to happen and it was about to be catastrophic. It was, it was going to be an embarrassment to the family to run out of wine. You don't run out of wine. You don't under-purchase wine. You over-purchase wine. How could, a, how could a father, how could a host allow this to happen on his watch? And I think Mary saw it. And then I think Jesus saw it. And I think what Mary said effectively is, Son, this is your role, to take away the shame from people and to redeem it. Redeem this situation, Son, before someone gets hurt. That is the purpose, I think, of all the wedding imagery. That God partners with us. When we say yes with God, we get to... We get to see things differently and get, we, we have this opportunity to help redeem what God is trying to redeem in, in the world. We see it the way God sees it. We hear the voices of people the way God hears it. And we get to, by saying, I do and I will and I, I choose you too, Lord, we get to help redeem. That's a term of value. I'm going to restore the value to something. Chances are all of us have run short that life has started running out of juice a little bit. Maybe the vessel itself is feeling a little bit cracked and broken. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says Paul. So the miracle at Cana is it's one part about being depleted 
It's also about feeling empty. It's trying to navigate the shame that accompanies feeling so drained and inadequate. My question to you, friends, is in those moments, as we've set our sights for 2022, to whom or to what will you turn? You get to decide what you want to fill your life back up with. Confirmands, you get to decide what it is you want to fill your life with. What will you choose? Who will you seek? I just pray that this year we don't spend 2022 stuck in the ordinary because there's so much more life with grace. Jesus takes an empty and inadequate situation and he transforms it into something inebriating. It becomes a joyful, joyful celebration. I want that to be our prayer today. As we're thinking about resolutions that we can make for this year or have made, how are they allowing us to step into a grace that's revolving around us? What I'd like to do is commit each and every day to saying, I do, Lord, and I will, and I choose you and thank you for choosing me. May that be our prayer this week. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Let all God's people say, amen.